Okay, welcome everybody. Welcome to Blue Water. My name is Albert Cook. Most of you probably don't recognize me because usually I am in a baseball cap, t-shirt, and shorts. But I was told in no uncertain terms today that I need to wear long pants because, quote, your knees will be distracting. So, so I'm wearing long pants. But I am Albert Cook. If you don't recognize me, good to see you guys. Um, We've been going through a series on Christian maturity. So Elijah gave us a couple uh, messages on Christian maturity. And because we're speaking about maturity and immaturity, as you guys know, I've known Jordan and Sonia for quite a long time. And, and this may be a shock to you guys, but they were not always the paragons of Christian maturity that you see before you right now. You know, there was a time that they were not quite as mature as they are now. And... <laughs> not true. And, and Jordan, you may not believe this, but he was fairly quiet. He wasn't as talkative and as outgoing as he is now, when he, back when we knew him in college. Yeah. Um, he did smile quite a bit, but I don't remember him saying a whole lot. And Sonia, I think the best description of Sonia back then was, this is actually from Jordan, I'm quoting him, is squirrel on crack. <laughs> And so true. You, you see how much energy, has, energy she has now. She's actually mellowed quite a bit. Um, <laughs> but back, back then, this is before they were married. You know, they had quite a, um, I don't know, not super long, but courtship. And they were courting three-year courtship. And during that time, you know, um, I remember Sonia used to write songs. So she would have, uh, you know, some very nice worship songs, but she also wrote this uh, love song, this lullaby to Jordan. And um, I thought maybe I, I would sing it for you guys. So. so it goes like this. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, if you guys want to hear that song, you can probably ask, ask Jordan or Sonia later and they can play it for you. It's, it's very moving. Um, but anyway, uh, Elijah spoke on being, the first message on Christian maturity was on being childlike, not childish. So if you remember that, being childlike was a position. But we are childlike because of our position in relation to God. We are his children. And that doesn't change no matter what. Being childlike is who we are. And he contrasted that with being, oh, I'm sorry. And a couple characteristics of being childlike um, in the good way is that we're dependent on God when we're childlike. Because children, they're totally dependent on their parents, and they're not ashamed of being dependent. Uh, they're authentic. They just, children are who they are. They don't try to change or try to hide. They just are children. And that's how we should be like because of our relationship with God. And they're engaged with the world around them. Children are very cynical. They're rarely cynical. Um, they see the world. They interact with the world. And they find joy in God's creation. And for us, uh, part of being mature as Christians is being childlike in those ways. And Elijah contrasted that with being childish, which means being self-focused, that the world revolves around you, being undisciplined, because you haven't, as a child, you have not yet developed the disciplines that will help you later in life, and being easily impressionable. So those are things that we're trying to grow out of as we grow into Christian maturity. Um, the second message Elijah gave us was called training for the prize, and the focus was on developing three habits of Christian maturity. One would be to renew your mind, also to get with the program, 
and to seek wisdom. And as part of his charge to us at the end was that we should pick a spiritual discipline or a habit and work on that for one month. So how many of you guys since last week have picked a spiritual discipline or a habit that you are working on for this month? That's not bad. Maybe 30% or so. So everybody else, you can, you can do that this week for the rest of the month. I, I think he, sp- he spoke about to, get, to develop a habit, you need to work on it for at a minimum 21 days straight. That's how you develop a habit. So pick something, whether it's prayer, whether it's reading a scripture, whether it's fasting, whether, well, fasting maybe once a week, not fasting for 21 days, but fasting or any kind of spiritual discipline and work on that for the next 21 days um, to a month. And you can be on your way to spiritual maturity. Now, as I've been prepping for this message and thinking about Christian maturity, um, in addition to what Elijah pointed out, uh, when I think about those who are mature in Christ, uh, both in Scripture and people that I know, including Jordan and Sonia, that Christian people that are mature in Christ tend to be, um, they tend to be very humble. They realize their position in relationship to God. Um, and then they also tend to know God's Word. And they know God's Word, and it helps them because uh, besides speaking directly into them, it gives them something to compare the world to. And those are the characteristics that I see in um, those who are mature in Christ. Today we're going to look at Joseph. He's a hero of the faith. And Joseph is one of my favorite Bible characters because you just see so much of his life, both from when he was a, a little kid till he's old. And you see the way God works in him. So we're going to take a little bit of a look at Joseph. Uh, and a little bit of background now. And I think whenever we talk about Scripture, it's important to have context. So the context is that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay? And then people came, people sinned, and there's a lot of things. And then uh, when the world kind of got bad, God called Abraham to be his chosen people. So Abraham was called out of Ur, and God says, you will be my people, and you will be a witness to the rest of the nations. And the plan was that Abraham and his descendants would be dependent on God, and the rest of the world would see, wow, God, you are awesome. I want to worship you too, because you're so good to the Israelites. So Abraham has Isaac, just his son. There's a lot of great stories about Isaac. You can read that. And then Isaac's son, one of his sons was Jacob. And Jacob is the father of Joseph. Now, Jacob had three wives, which was not uncommon in those times. And how many of you single guys think that having three wives would be great? Oh, smart people. Nobody raise your hand. That's good. <laughs> anyway, Jacob had three wives and 12 children. So quite a large family. Joseph was number 11. And he was born to Jacob's favorite wife. Okay? So you can already see some problems in his family. If he has a favorite wife a favorite son, and 12 children and three wives. So, you know, Jacob has some issues in his family. And that's one of the great things about Scripture. To me, I know it's true because if somebody was making this stuff up to make a religion, you wouldn't put those kind of facts in there. You know, you'd just paint these people in a very nice picture so that they can be examples. But the Bible's not like that. It throws in all the dirt. You get to see the sins of these people. You see the problems. You see the ways that they fall short. And, you know, and one of the ways that Jacob falls short is in the way he raises his family. Um, so let's take a look at Genesis. Read, um, it's going to be up on the screen, and let me read it for you. We're going to take Genesis 37. Now, as we're reading this, pay attention to Joseph. See what the Bible tells us about him. 
and see what you can learn just from this little passage about what Joseph was like. So Jacob lived in the land where his fathers had stayed, the land of Canaan, and this is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Ziphah, his father's wives. And he brought their fathers a bad report about them, about his brothers. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, problems, because he had been born to him in his old age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. So this is, have you seen any of the plays or movies, Joseph in the Technicolor Dream Code or um, Joseph in the Coat of Many Colors? That's the coat they're talking about. So uh, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were, building she or we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Not a good idea, even if you had that dream. But he tells his brothers this, and of course, um, they're not happy. So his brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. Well, he told, when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, just from this passage, what do we see about Joseph? I think we see quite a lot. First, he's young, right? 17 years old. You know, kind of still a, a bit of a young punk, right? Um, and we know this from later on in the story that he's very handsome. So at 17, he was probably a very handsome young man. Um, He's a little tattletale, right? He goes out with his, all these older brothers of his, and he comes back, Dad, 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 you know what my brothers are doing out in the fields? So he gives them a bad report. You know, so he's, he's a little bit of a tattletale. Um, but we also see that Joseph is spiritually gifted, right? He has dreams, and, and we know from the rest of the story that these dreams are absolutely true. Um, so he's gifted. He's spiritually gifted. God has given him some spiritual gifts. Um, and, and just a side note, uh, parents with spiritually gifted kids, uh, it's a good idea, even if you don't have the gifts your children do, to understand the gifts. So I think this would have been a good opportunity for Jacob to kind of parent Joseph through this. Say, you know, Joseph, you've got these dreams, and they're, you know, they, they're probably from God, but you've got to work on your delivery. Or, or maybe these aren't, maybe when you get the dreams, the next question is, God, should I share this, or is this just for me? You know, so I think as parents, when we see our children growing up in gifts, especially if they're gifts that we don't have, um, try to learn about the gifts. You know, Deuteronomy's a great place to do that, learn about spiritual gifts so that you can shepherd your children through this. You know, maybe avoid some of the problems that Jacob had with his family. Um. <coughs> oh, <coughs> and we also know that Joseph is spoiled, right? He's the favorite son, and he knows it. And his father stupidly gives him a... a, a nice coat, a beautiful coat, and just tells everybody else, this is my favorite son, deal with it. You know, just, just not a good idea. So these are the things that we know about Joseph. And we also know that 
he's a little bit self-centered. If you look at the way he shares the dreams, right? He says, listen to this dream I had. I had another dream. And then he just kind of blabs it out to his family, right? Seemingly insensitive to how it might affect them. And he's not a quick learner either because he shares it with his brothers. They hate him even more. Then he shares the next dream with them and his parents, right? So that, that's kind of what we see Joseph like at the beginning. He's immature. Uh, in Elijah's words, he's childish. The focus is on himself. He's self-centered and he's clearly undisciplined with his mouth. So what happens next in the story is that his brothers, because they hate him so much, they actually kidnap him and sell him to traveling slave traders. So they're so upset with him that they kind of come up with this plan, let's just get rid of him. At first, they're actually going to kill him. All the younger brothers say, let's just kill him and be done with it. But his older brother intervened and said, well, let's not kill him. Here's some slave traders. Let's go sell him to the slave traders. So they sell Joseph to the slave traders who are going to Egypt. And they tell his father, oh, Joseph was killed. They come up with this big lie. They bring back his coat of many colors. They put some blood from one of the, um, the sheep that they're tending on it and say, look, dad, your son's dead. Sorry. And so that's what his, his father for the rest of the time, thinks that Joseph is dead. Okay. Now, Joseph gets sold into slavery in Egypt, and he gets sold to a man named Potiphar, who happens to be the head of Pharaoh's guard, so a fairly wealthy and influential man in Egypt. And he gets sold as a slave, um, but he uses his gifts. He, he, we find that he has a gift for administration, and he's faithful to God, even in the situation where he's a slave. And he gets elevated in Potiphar's house to the point where he's running the house. And Potiphar trusts Joseph so much that he, it's, the Bible says that he doesn't have to worry about anything. He leaves it all up to Joseph. Um, but then Potiphar also has a wife who apparently is enamored with Joseph. So Potiphar's wife, noticing that Joseph was, quote from the Bible, well-built and handsome, tries to seduce him. So she comes on to Joseph. But Joseph, wanting to honor Potiphar, who's you know, entrusted him with his household, including his wife, rebukes her and says, no, I can't do that. That would be dishonorable to Potiphar, my, my boss. So no, I'm not going to sleep with you. She keeps persisting to the point where one time she corners him by himself and just grabs him to the point where he physically runs away, pulling out of his jacket and running away from her. And unfortunately for Joseph, she uses this to have Joseph thrown into jail. I guess, you know, a woman spurned is not a good thing. So she tells her husband, Joseph tried to rape me. See, look, here's his coat as proof. So Joseph gets thrown into prison for this. Uh, he gets thrown into prison unjustly, clearly unjustly. And for me, it makes me wonder, wow, what is God doing? You know, here's a guy who has done everything right. You know, he has been honorable even as a slave. He's been trying to do what he can do with the gifts that God has given him. He does the right thing and rejects an attempt to sleep with his boss's wife and yet he gets thrown into prison. You know, and it's just not fair. And God lets it happen. I think for us to think, if you've ever been treated unjustly, or if you feel like something unfair has happened to you, uh, you're not alone. And, and when those things happen, do you ever wonder, where is God? God, how can you let this happen? Or I think what I kind of usually think is that God does not love me, or this would not have happened. And... Uh, the scripture will show us a little bit that, first of all, that's not really true. God always loves us. But I think this is where knowing your Bible is really, really helpful as you grow because what the Bible does is it takes us outside of our culture. 
it helps us to see the truths of the world um, in a way that we wouldn't if we we're just kind of stuck in what it means as you know, 20th century or 21st century Americans. Because I think um, a big assumption for us as Americans is that life should be fair and things should go well, right? And if it doesn't, something is wrong. And that's, we just grew up with that because we grew up in a, you know, in, a, in a great country. We have freedoms. We have riches compared to the rest of the world. And we just think that, okay, if things are not going well, if something is unfair, if I have been victimized or if I have been treated unfairly or unjustly punished, then something is wrong with life. And I think if you look at Scripture, that's just not the case. You know, God promises us all kinds of things, but He never promises us that life is going to be fair. And he never promises us that life is going to be smooth. In fact, he promises us the opposite. He promises us that we will have persecutions. In this life, we will have tribulations. So knowing your scripture is really helpful when, as we will, we run into troubled times and things are hard because we'll know that, okay, this doesn't mean that God doesn't love me. This is just the, world, the way the world is. But God promises that he will be with me. And God promises us that all things will work together for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Um, even if all things work together for the good means that you end up dying a martyr and then you're rewarded in the next life. But it's just we need to know that all things work together for good. It just might not be the way we think it is. Okay, so we pick up the story where Joseph is in jail. So let me read that to you, starting in chapter 39. Uh, verse 20. Okay, so now Joseph's in jail. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. Um, and just for you guys' information, a cupbearer is the person who would kind of taste all the king's food to see if it was poison. So he was very important to the king. So he'd be like on the right hand of the king and, you know, tasted wine before he gives the, the king his cup. So a very, very trusted and important position. Uh, and the baker, of course, bakes bread. Uh, after they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream. The same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. See, you notice already Joseph is changing, right? He doesn't say, oh, I can do that because I have the gift of interpretation. You know, he says, oh, don't dreams, interpretations belong to God. So he's already starting to attribute things to God rather than himself. Um, so the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. 
As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are the three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift, your, uh, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat away your flesh. <laughs> Whew, that's a rough interpretation to give, but I guess Joseph, confident that it came from God, gave the interpretation. <sighs> Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So, uh, very sad. Joseph does again. He's being faithful to God. He's using the gifts that God has given him. And he actually tells the cupbearer he's going to be restored. But the cupbearer, once he's restored, forgets about Joseph. And so more years pass. And Joseph has been in jail for quite some time at this point. Um, okay, let's pick up the story in Genesis 41. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. So as we read scripture, I know we don't have videos and things, and a lot of you guys are used to seeing things visually, so you've got to use your imagination now. You've got to imagine the thin, skinny cows, really ugly cows sitting by the riverbank, and then the really fat cows just sitting there and being eaten. So, you know, you can be as vivid as you want. You can picture the skinny cows taking them bite by bite or swallowing, whatever you want, but this is an exercise for your imagination. Take the descriptive words from scripture and let your imagination go wild. Okay, so Pharaoh fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servant, and he imprisoned me 
and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. He told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said that you, when you, were, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph says, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Again, Joseph changing his perspective. Yeah? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dreams, I also saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin, and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but they could not explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up after are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will be not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They shall collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the county, for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by famine. This plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one whom is the Spirit of God? Oh, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made known all this to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Okay. So, kind of amazing, yeah? what God does with Joseph. So we see Joseph changing, right? He says, I cannot do it, in talking about interpreting dreams. God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So Joseph, in his time in prison, has become humble. He realizes that his gifts are from God, not I will interpret your dreams, but he recognizes that his true position in relation to God and to others, that these things are a gift from God, and God is the one who deserves the glory. So he's, he's, he has matured quite a bit during this time. 
So next, Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of the entire country of Egypt. And there is a famine, just as God predicted. Um, and Joseph's family, who again believe Joseph is dead all this time, uh, they're starving, and they decide to go to Egypt to try and buy some food. Um, now remember, this is at a minimum, I don't know, at least 10 years, probably a lot more, because we don't know how much time he was in jail before um, the baker and the butler came and were sent up to Pharaoh. So he's been in jail for quite a while. Um, let's see. Uh, I think I'm going to skip the next section. I mean, you can read it. You have it in your bulletins, but I'll just summarize. So Joseph, at this time, his, his parents come, or first of all, his brothers come to buy food, and Joseph kind of plays a little game with him at first, you know, doesn't tell him who he is and kind of scolds them, tells him to go back. He puts a golden cup in the grain basket after they, give, after they buy grain of his younger brother, um, Benjamin, and then it forces them to come back and... Finally, he reveals himself to them, and he cries in front of them, and he says, I'm your brother Joseph. Don't be upset. You know, I'm not mad at you. I realize that all of this happened for your good and according to God's plan. So he's able to forgive his brothers and say, look, you guys meant this for evil. You guys meant to sell me into slavery, but God took this and used it so that now I'm the most powerful person in Egypt, and because of this, I can save you. Go get your father, bring him back, bring your whole family here, and come live in Egypt with me. And so Joseph is able to forgive his brothers for the terrible thing they did to him and attribute things to God. And you just see that he has grown so much in maturity, I think a large part because of his time spent in prison. Now, for us, I think God often takes us through these times um, of prison times. I mean, I've never been thrown into prison unjustly. I mean, some of you may have, you know. Um, we have friends in other countries that that does happen to them. You know, I've been fired unjustly from a job or, you know, I um, went to law school as a Christian and that's never a fun thing. You get ridiculed quite a bit if you try to stand up for what God thinks is right. <laughs> All the lawyers are laughing. Um, but I think God often takes us through these times where we feel like we're either in the wilderness or we're in prison or we're being treated unjustly. And how we handle those times will help us in whether we mature or remain immature. I mean, if you look at Scripture, besides Joseph, you know, King David, God told him when he was young that he was going to be king. But then that didn't happen for like many years. In fact, in the interim time, he became a fugitive where the current king chased him all over Israel trying to kill him. And during that time, David was still faithful to God. And I think God used that to mature him. Um, if you look at Moses, you know, we looked at Moses a little bit earlier, like the time that I shared in the simple church. And Moses had to spend 40 years in Midian where God had to refine him and kind of break him of some of his uh, prideful and, and his anger issues, right? And then God used that time to mature him. Um, yeah, and, and most people in Scripture, you'll see that God takes them through this wilderness time. And it's a time to... Uh, refine them and break them down, to humble them so they can become mature, be able to realize who they are in God, and then be able to do what God has called them to do. So for us, when you find yourself in those kind of places where you are being unjustly treated, or you feel like, where is God? I just can't feel Him. I don't see Him. Um, or just these times where you feel totally cut off from God. Um, first thing is, don't lose faith. So if you can kind of skip through the part about Joseph, a PowerPoint, and just move on to the tips at the end. So tips for us. First one, don't lose faith. 
God has a better view of your life than you do. And he's in control. God is always in control. We need to remember that when it seems like from our point of view that it's not. Remember, God has an eternal perspective. And God can see our life from beginning to end. All we can see is what's happening today. So when you are being untreated, or when you are being treated unfairly, when you have been unjustly treated, or you're just going through a time where you can't see God, remember, God is in control always. Don't lose faith. Second, even if you're enduring injustice or unfairness, as Joseph did, just remember that God is good always. God is always good, no matter what the circumstances are. He does not change. Our circumstances do. But God is good always. And third, keep using your gifts and talents and serving those around you. If you see from Joseph, he kept using his gifts the whole time. He used his administrative gifts. He used his dream interpretation gifts. And wherever he was, even if he was there unjustly, God prospered him. And he was able to serve those around him. So when you're in those kind of situations, even if you don't feel like it, use the gifts God's given to you. Serve. Um, or as jo- uh, Jordan says a lot, just show up. You know, half the battle when you don't feel like it is just showing up. And then let God use you. A big part of Christian maturity is being able to trust and obey no matter what the circumstances are. Um, Even when you cannot see what God is doing and you can't see his goodness, just trust and obey. Uh, Let me close this real quick. Lord, thank you that you are good uh, always. And thank you, Lord, that you see our life from beginning to end. And thank you that you care about us enough that you often let us go through these prison times or these wilderness times because you want us to be mature. You want to be able to use us um, for the things that you have planned, things that are for our benefit and, as in the case of Joseph, for the benefit of the world and for his whole nation. Uh, Without him stepping up and using the gifts that you gave him, his family would have died and the whole Israelite nation would would have ceased to exist. So, Lord, I thank you for your goodness. Uh, Lord, just come. Fill this place, Father. And for any of those who you're speaking to, I pray that they would have the courage to go ask for prayer and that they would be able to make a commitment to growing in you, growing in their maturity, that they would take a habit that Elijah talked about and apply that to their lives. Uh, And we just thank you for your goodness. Amen.